I feel like we should warn people with another cold open. Like, hey, the music's about to be different, so mm. get ready for that. So this is your warning. The music's about to be different. We've changed. This is a big episode. A whole new I'm era. evolving. I'm being held to account. All right, so as our robot producer, Craig, is in the building. Brother Craig. Brother Craig, thank you for joining us. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson right here. Painter Sharpless over there. Hello, Painter. What's up, dude? So, Painter, we've got another weekend edition of the podcast. Um, right, I mean, not too far after we came out with the podcast on Thursday morning, the premium one for, for subscribers, for those of you in the inner circle, we got uh, we got some news from Auburn basketball news that we're going to open up with. Um, the roster overall just won't stop for Auburn. I felt like, you know, they get Desi Sills, and we talked about that last week. They get Desi Sills, and it's like, all right, they've got 12 guys, you know, if if uh, if Thor comes back, it's 13. We'll see how they shake out the rest of this roster. But it kind of felt like it was starting to wind down. And, well, no. Trey Alexander uh, is not going to be a Tiger. Uh, he has uh, had a what has been described as an amicable split uh, with, with Auburn. Uh, he's opened it up, his recruitment, once more. So he will not join Jabari Smith on the team in 2021-2022. Painter, your initial reaction to the Trey Alexander news was what? Well, we thought Desi was going to be an important addition in some way, whether it was as a starter or as a very important piece who got starter-like minutes, and now it seems like that is even more prominent. Uh, The thing about Trey that surprised me was that I thought he would have been in a great position to help this year. He might have pushed for a starting spot. Don't know. Either way, he's going to play, right? He's one of the more talented recruits Auburn at that point had had. So... Disappointed in a way, I, you know, I just tend to default that Bruce has got something waiting in the wings. But uh, the same way I felt about Sharif to an extent was, man, what a bummer for that staff. They spent, what, four or five years recruiting Sharif. I'm sure they spent a while recruiting Trey. And right mm-hmm. before it seems like you're on the cusp of bringing him on campus, he opens things up. Look, I don't really have any hard feelings. It's partially, I'll say, not altruistic. It's like, I just trust Bruce to figure something out. Like, maybe if I wasn't so confident, I'd feel a little more burned by it. But you know what? If he felt like there was too much depth the position or had a change of heart, I mean, best of luck. And uh, no hard feelings, like I said, in part just because I trust Bruce. Yeah, I think from my perspective, the, the Trey Alexander decision was, you know, it's surprising in the fact that he had been committed to Auburn for a while he'd signed with Auburn and you know this is kind of a this is kind of a, a later development in the game and it's coming on the heels of the Desi Sills pickup right you know it it very much seemed to me and from what I've heard that this wasn't something that was like in the works and that's why they got Desi Sills and that's why they got Zepp Jasper but more of this is kind of a response to it and if you look at it from Trey Alexander's perspective it's Auburn, I mean, since he signed back in November or whenever it was, think about how much this roster has changed at Auburn since November, you know? When he signed, he was thinking about playing with Sharif Cooper and and JT Thor. Both of those guys are in the draft now. Justin Powell's gone. Jamal Johnson and and others are gone off this team now. And then they've brought in Zepp Jasper, Desi Sills, and, of course, Wendell Green. Now, Wendell Green is a one. Zepp Jasper, Jasper can play the one. But I think the thing there is is that when you bring in Zepp Jasper and you bring in Desi Sills, those are guys who are going to play the position that Trey Alexander was going to play at Auburn. They're not, like, both of those guys, 6'1", 6'2", type of dudes, Trey's taller at 6'4". You can't bring those guys in and say, well, you know, they might be helping us out a little bit on the wing and, like, playing the three behind um, Alan Flanagan and, and, and maybe Devin Cambridge. You're six one. They're they're pretty much they're guards. They're straight up guards, and that's where you're gonna have to put them at. So, I think from Alexander's perspective, it's like okay, this is different than what we've than what we've heard. And and he went on the record to a couple of places, I believe, and said after he after he split from Auburn is that he felt like Auburn didn't 
stay to their, true to their word. And I think it's one of those things There's like, over the last few months, this roster's changed so much that they did recruit over his head. And they did bring in guys that, that are going to cut into his playing time. Now, he would have had the opportunity, like you said, Painter, to compete and get a starting job, I would think. But you don't bring in Zepp Jasper and Desi Seals to put him on the bench. So it's tough because, like I said, a lot, a lot, a lot has changed for Auburn basketball since Trey Alexander first signed. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you're Auburn, you hate that you lose out on a guy who's really, really talented. We've, we've talked highly of him on this podcast all the time. He's, he's one of the top 15 recruits Auburn had signed in the modern recruiting era for the program, and, and he fit a lot of things that you want. But getting Desi Sills was something they just had to do. They had to get another guard, even if it was going to jeopardize a, a, a younger one coming in. For me, the value of him also is in that second and third year, depending on you know how well the his career goes. We've seen a couple of guys at this point under Bruce accelerate and get to the NBA quickly. I think he helps you this year. I think you're looking at 2022 and beyond, a player – who is going to be a focal point of the team. So that's disappointing. And then, like I mentioned a moment ago, it kind of sucks for Bruce and his staff. They think they're about to get this guy on campus that they've been recruiting for a long time, and now they've got to start over. But all in all, best wishes. Yeah, it's 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 one of those it's one of those things where Auburn got to the end of the season. Since they signed Trey Alexander the first time, they looked at their roster, and what was their biggest issue in the backcourt last season especially is that defensively, um, they were they were a step behind, and they didn't have a ton of experience. You go get Zepp Jasper, defensive guy, a lot of experience. You get Desi Sills, you know, got it, coming from an awesome defense that they had in Arkansas, plenty of SEC experience. You have to go make that move if you're Auburn. But, I mean, it, it, it's tough. It, it, it's really, really tough. And, and you look at the situation where now that Trey Alexander's gone, Auburn's back to kind of square one in a sense in that, they probably could use another guard because you're going to hit this point. The thing that made sense about Trey Alexander being there is that between Wendell Green, Trey Alexander, Zepp Jasper, and um, Desi Sills, even with a little bit of Devin Cambridge in there as well from time to time, you could figure out how to split the one and two minutes between those guys. It's a harder task to ask, ask for that with three, which is why they brought Sills in in the first place. So now they're back down to three again. And it's like, unless Cambridge plays more than two, I, I think you're going to need another guy. I mean, I think your alternative is, you know, maybe using Chris Moore more at the three, maybe. Um, you know, you could use Jabari Smith at the three. But, again, there was a long conversation about this on Twitter on Thursday uh, between some between some Auburn fans uh, that, I, that I jumped in for a little bit. The thing with Jabari Smith is, is that, he could definitely play it offensively, but is, is defense, is that where you want him to be? Or would you rather keep him at his natural position? You don't want to move guys around. You just saw last season how much that affected you. So I, I think I think it's a tough spot to be in for Auburn. It's a, you, a Desi Sills move is one you absolutely have to make. You're trying to maximize your talent for right now. You get, a guy, you get transfers in to help your team right now because you're going to have Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith on the team next season – and that this might be the only year you have them, right? So you want to be good for now. And Alexander probably projected out to be a guy who might be a starter, might be an NBA quality uh, prospect in year two or year three. So, uh, I mean, I, I think the big problem though, Painter, and the, and the one that, you know, it, it's tough for Auburn. The one thing I, I will look at from this perspective with Trey Alexander and moving forward with this roster is that you got a pretty short backcourt now. You've got a pretty short backcourt. And Trey Alexander, we would have seen what he was going to be like at the at the college level, right? But at least he had some more size, and he felt like he was going to be your best bet to be that consistent three-point shooter from, you know, what you lost in Justin Powell, what you lost to a degree in, in Jamal Johnson as well. You've got guys in Jasper and Sills that aren't dead eyes from deep. They can get hot. They can be really good. Auburn knows very well how good Desi Seals can be from deep. But that, I mean, if you're looking for like that Bryce Brown type, maybe even that Samir Dowdy type, 
Trey Alexander kind of fit the bill more, and now you don't really have one of those guys. Well, I don't think it's something they can't recover from, but no. like I, I uh, have to say that it's a little frustrating. But I, at the same time, like I, my, my sentiment from earlier still stands. I think Bruce is going to be able to work it out. I'll be curious to see what he goes yeah, with, if he get? just goes to the transfer market and goes for immediate experience, or if he opts to go with another incoming freshman. I mean, and also at that point, like your options are pretty limited at this stage of the yeah. recruiting cycle. Yeah, there was a story on uh, Friday, and Bruce Pearl ended up retweeting it. There was a story from uh, Sports Illustrated about Scoot Anderson, and it was one of his like personal blogs that he writes through. And one of the things he says in it, I'm going to read it, um, just to get every to get everybody clued in uh, on you know everyone talks about Scoot Henderson as a guy who could who could could reclassify and who could come in. But the thing about it is, is that every time he talks in public, on the record, it doesn't sound like a dude who is, like, geared up to reclassify right now. Now, he might pull the trigger tomorrow, and I don't think anybody would be surprised, but he said, um, let's see, this is this is in, in his words in his blog at, at Sports Illustrated. He says, My biggest goal this summer is to leave no doubt in everyone's mind that I am the best player in my class. I'm taking everything up a notch this summer. My recruitment is still going well. I'm just really taking my time with everything. I'm hearing from a lot of schools like Auburn, Georgia, Arkansas, Alabama, Ole Miss, and a few others. I want to say this too. I'm wide open with my recruitment. I know a lot of people think I'm going to certain schools, but I can tell you that that's not true at all. I want to hear from different schools and see what the best fit will be for me. So this doesn't seem like a guy who is going to join Auburn's this year's Auburn's team immediately. But it's still out there. I just think there has been an assumption a lot with Auburn fans the last couple of months that it ranges from they could get him in this year or, oh, he's definitely coming in this year now with how the roster is shaking out. And that's that doesn't seem from what he has said to be the case. Now, things can change and things change in recruiting pretty rapidly, but he does sound like a guy who wants to, you know, continue to maximize his, his – uh, his stock as a, as a prospect. And, you know, like he said in that, in the thing, he wants to be the best player in his class. That's, that's the 2020, sorry, that's the 2022 class. So, um, any Auburn fans who are, who are putting their eggs in the scoop basket, I would just say, you know, ease on back a little bit because there, there's no guarantee he's going to be making this decision right now. And, you know, according to him as, as, as widely projected as he is to go to Auburn, he still wants to make it clear that he feels like he's weighing all of his options. Playing the leverage game. <laughs> you know, I would it, too, baby. Get my oh, yeah. maximize my opportunity as a five star recruit, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, we, we know what you're saying. We usually know what you're saying when you refer to these things. Um, but yeah, I think Auburn needs another guard. I'd be very curious to see where they go. If they bring somebody in in the transfer portal, there's constantly getting. There's constantly dudes coming in left and right. Auburn's been in the mix for a few guys that have gone elsewhere, guys who've stayed in the SEC, guys who've come into the SEC. So it's going to be competitive, but the 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 well is not dry yet in terms of that talent. And I think you know guys are only going to you know come in and and Auburn's got a clear spot there. Like I said, I I find it hard to believe that they'll be able to hit an entire offseason splitting. You know the the minutes of the one, two, and three with Zepp, Wendell, um, Desi, Allen, and Devin. Like that's a lot for five guys to to split up three spots. Meanwhile, in the front court, Auburn's got like seven dudes that they can play, six or seven dudes that they can play in just two positions. So a little bit. I'm not going to call it an imbalanced roster, but it's definitely something where you know. It's not a, it's not set in stone yet. It's not a it's not a complete picture. And and I mean, who would have thought a few weeks ago that Auburn was going to get Walker Kessler and Desi Seals and Wendell Green and uh, Zepp Jasper? You know, with all this turnover coming on their roster, they've done a really good job of hitting the portal and they've gotten some high impact players. I don't think it's out of the question they can get one more. I think Painter, you speak for a lot of Auburn fans when they say, you know what, you're just going to trust Bruce at this point. Were you surprised that Alexander said what he said 
I just felt like most of the stuff Auburn told me in the beginning of recruitment didn't stick. They didn't Mm -hmm. keep their word, basically. That's the main reason I decided to decommit. That's from Cameron Jordan or Jordan of the Montgomery Advertiser. Yeah, I I think I'm not surprised by that because I think what happened is is that you come you you, you when you sign in the beginning of his recruitment, like you said, you're going to be one of their top guys. Auburn goes through this past season; they go through all this roster turnover, and they need defense in the backcourt. They need more experience, especially to maximize what they've got coming in in the front court. And so things changed, and it's a completely different. You know, Auburn's roster, like I said earlier, Auburn's roster and Auburn's program is completely different than the one Trey Alexander signed up for initially. So it didn't kind of stick. I mean, I, I would agree like that. Maybe, you know, maybe people can, you know, um, split hairs on like how harsh his statements are or not. But, you know, I don't think he was a guy who expected to get recruited, quote unquote, over his head. But Auburn felt like they needed to because they needed to get guards with Powell leaving, with Johnson leaving, with what the, you know, they were already thin last season in the backcourt. They needed to get guards, and lo and behold, they bring in guards that are going to play his position. You know, they, like I said earlier, they can't sit there and say, you know, these guys aren't going to necessarily cut into your playing time. They're they're twos. They are exactly where he, where he wants. And meanwhile, at the three, you have a guy in Alan Flanagan coming back who's who's going to be one of your key players next season. Well, he knows what's best for him, but I am surprised because I thought, all right, he's going to have a role on this team as a true freshman. And then, like I mentioned, depending on how long he's at Auburn as a sophomore and a junior, your focal point of the team. That's what took me off guard, even though, sure, there are going to be more people at the position, at your position than you initially thought. There's mm-hmm. still a role. And, uh, you know, again, it's his world. It's his life. Best of luck. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's I think I think it's one of those things where you can't deny that it's not a blow for Auburn. It, it definitely is a You're blow. Losing a talented it's player something. who comes in and makes you better right away, Very at talented. minimum, adds depth to that. Like I mentioned, in the most recent podcast. I don't think that there, and I still feel this way, are many teams that have like a six through thirteen, and I, I realize like your eleventh and twelfth and thirteenth guys won't be contributing heavily, but Auburn's bench is going to really. I think gas teams because they're not going to. It's going to put a lot of pressure on opposing team starters. I think because Auburn's so deep, and Alexander yeah, it, certainly it, factored in there at minimum. Yeah, and so when Auburn goes into the portal or what do they do next by bringing in another guy, they need. I think they need another scorer. I think if they could get a dude with a little more size, um, you know, somebody Preferably in the six an three, six shot. four, six five range, guy who could be a consistent outside shooter. That would be, you know, you bring it in. Yes, Trey would have been a guy that I think under at Auburn, the way Auburn's got their tracker here with developing these high four-star players, could be a dude who would have been an NBA prospect, you know, in maybe a lot shorter time than people would have expected. But if you do that, you get a transfer in, you maximize, like I said, you maximize the talent that you, you might only have Jabari Smith, Walker, Kessler together for one season. You get all that together and just say that, hey, this year is going to be weird and really transfer heavy. There's a lot of teams across college basketball that are, uh, you know, especially in the SEC, that are going to have brand new rosters. And it's been a transfer heavy sport over the last few years. But, you know, since the portal became the th- a thing that, uh, you know, a, a bigger resource, so to speak. But with the waiver and the things that are going on right now, this is going to be a year where college basketball just looks completely different. So, Maybe it's not something you want to do to build your program long term. You know, maybe that's not the way they want to go about it each and every season. But I think the I think the market kind of forced your hand at this point if you're Bruce Pearl and Auburn and, and they had to go they had to do an, an upgrade and get depth and experience at a position they felt like they absolutely needed to. And in the end it up it ended up costing them uh, a guy that, you know, could have been a really good player for them. The portal giveth, the portal taketh. Yep, and that's gonna be the big. That's gonna be the big thing uh, for for Auburn moving forward. They got another spot, and what will they do if Thor stays in the draft? Like like a lot of people expect at this point, it's not over. It's not over. We're gonna be talking about this roster, you know, for for a few more weeks. Uh, this thing's not been set in stone yet whatsoever. Um, so, what did yeah, you feel like o- the uh, the tenor online was because. 
again, like I wasn't panicking. I was just surprised. I was driving when I got that news and I was like, well, did not anticipate that. Yeah. I think, I think Painter, a lot of Auburn fans like you were, were kind of just more surprised. It's like, you don't want to panic because you've got depth and you've got experience now. And that, you know, Auburn has been able, when Auburn had that run where they lost several players into the portal, some people kind of freaked out and then they went on the run they did in picking up transfers. So I think that's kind of cooled people off from maybe going over the top. But I do think that, you know, I, I mean, I said it maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago, that I didn't think that Trey Alexander was getting enough hype for what he could bring to the table, uh, you know, at at, at Auburn in, in, in his first season. Well, now that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't even really need to, to be said anymore. But, yeah, I think it's just more the, the, the general consensus I saw was just surprise, disappointment, but not like, oh, no, this is the end of the world. You know, it, I think that's the other thing is like when a, when a football player leaves, like when a football player decommits, no matter who they are, uh, especially towards the end of the Malzahn era, it felt like Auburn, Auburn fans online were like going over the top. This one, I think that's a little bit more measured and composed because I think that's just the nature of, of what college college basketball is right now. And, and for Trey yeah, Alexander, the, the market, uh, the, you're right. Like the ability for people to sort of move right now, especially in basketball and given the oddity of this year and people being eligible immediately, I think it has adjusted expectations. And then I think in the backdrop of all this is that Bruce hasn't missed, especially recently. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. He has not missed. And so, so you're talking when, about Sills and uh, Kessler. And then I, like, there's lots of reasons to believe that green and Jasper's game will tie in very nicely and that they'll make the step up. I mean, you just pulled in your best recruit in program history. It's like a year after, I mean, a year after getting another one, a year after putting, you know, a year after getting what was then your best recruit in his, in program history, you know, the same off season where you took a dude into one and done talent and was the top five pick in the draft a year earlier than expected. Same thing for Chumo Kiki. Like, it's a run right now. So, yeah, you get the benefit of the doubt uh, for the most part. But it does make for an interesting situation moving forward because, you know, Trey Alexander looked like he could be that kind of little bit bigger sharpshooter that, that Auburn could have. He was their best option for that. Now they don't have one of those. You got to go in there and get it. And for Alexander, again, it's, it's, it's exactly what you should do if you're in that situation. If you have the means as a player to go and make this move, go ahead and do it. If you feel uncertain about the role you're going to get, it makes sense to you know to jump out because there are only 340-something Division One basketball teams, right? There are going to be plenty of places, good places too, not just you know anywhere that'll just give you a starting job, but like there are going to be some high-quality programs that are come after him and say, hey. This is what we want you to do right away, and it might be more than what you got got at Auburn. So um, it's just I think that's just another twist to the uh, to the portal. I think I think that's a, another thing is like how much does the portal affect these guys who signed months ago? Well, you know here here comes the negative aspect of that, and Auburn hasn't had to deal with that yet. If I sound stern today, it's because my Adderall kicked in. <laughs> Just locked in right now. Just, just focused, focused. You're locked in. I like it. I like it. So I think so, we've had a nice run of positive basketball news after I just complained and complained for like eight straight weeks. So I guess this is the first not so great news that Auburn's received in a while. And you know what? Sometimes mm-hmm. the universe has to check you. Yeah, you, you. Sometimes you get you get a you get a reminder that you know this isn't things aren't perfect. Things aren't perfect for any college basketball program. I heard today Gonzaga had a, um, and we're recording this on Saturday. Gonzaga had a, uh, it was like the number one player out of China was committed to come play for them, and then now he's going to go straight to the G League instead. So it's like, yeah, everyone's having to deal with how how wild the uh, these things can move pretty quickly here in the portal. Uh, for the rest of the podcast, we wanted to talk a little football. We wanted to talk. Um, you know, mostly some NFL draft stuff, uh, it, particularly how it pertains to Auburn players. It comes up on Thursday, our midweek uh, podcast later in the week on Wednesday for subscribers. Uh, we are going to uh, have a podcast with Alex Kirshner of 
Split Zone Duo, where we're going to have a lot of fun uh, talking to him about kind of his, you know, interesting connection to Auburn as a guy from the, on the outside. What he has he a soft Ryan spot Arson. for their chaos, right? Yeah, he has a soft spot for the chaos uh, that you all love slash hate about Auburn athletics. Um, we'll talk to him about Brian Harson. We'll talk to him how he feels about, you know, kind of Auburn as a landscape of, of, of the SEC and, you know, national college football as, as somebody who covers the sport on, 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 a, on a wider range than we do. And, uh, yeah, we'll have some fun with that. Uh, and, and Alex is a, a subscriber to The Observer himself. So it'll be, it'll be good to get him on uh, and uh, get him on the premium podcast. Painter, if people want to be a part of that, and if they want to just continue to support what we've got going on here, what do they need to do? Rate, review, subscribe. We've gotten some awesome feedback recently. Thank you guys very much. Thanks to those of you who are in the inner circle. And if that's not for you right now, we would greatly appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, y'all. Absolutely. And uh, as we've said on the podcast in the past, if you give us a, if you give us a nice review on, uh, on iTunes, we will. Apple Podcasts, I guess. I keep calling it iTunes because like, when I first started listening to podcasts, everybody kept saying on iTunes. Remember um, when you had to pay like $1.29 for a songs. song? I guess yeah. it was 99 cents for a, a while. Now it seems laughable once Spotify really hit the, <laughs> hit the mainstream. It's like, all right, I'll just do this. Although I guess that really screws over artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no, to imagine they're making does. no money off of streams. It's like, a, you know, a hundred thousandth of a cent per play or something. It, it's crazy. It's crazy how, how all that works. Um, let us uh, review. Let, let us read a couple of reviews as we do on the podcast. We appreciate you guys' his feedback. And remember, the game is you have to say nice things about Painter in the review. Uh, not me. Only Painter. Uh, we got a couple this week, Painter. You ready? I'm ready. Come on, bring it home. Speaking of bringing it home, I doxed myself the other day. <laughs> Yeah, you did. You did. I, I've come close a couple times. I was thinking times. about that later. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> a little late. A little late for that. A little late for that. I don't think we have any crazy fans that will do anything to you. Or enemies. We might have some enemies. but uh, I think I probably rub we'll some people the wrong way, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We, we, we all do that. and no, no one's perfect, especially us. Um, this one from UPS Bus Driver says, Painter does the best. <laughs> Is that it? The no, the guy, that was the title. The guys do a great show that offers insight and entertainment. Painter is the premier Ed McMahon. Painter, do you feel like wow. you could be like like that? Like a host, like a, like a, you know, a good talk show host. I feel like you'd have a good vibe for that. Let's get Painter I had a talk to, show. I had to Google Ed McMahon. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, now you know. Leo, that's Leo Peter. All right. An American announcer, game show host, comedian, actor, singer, a wa- and a combat aviator. Okay. Was he a World right. War II guy? I think you could do all those things. Fly Maybe not plane. combat, AB. <laughs> Just fly, get Painter in a plane. Uh, keep up the good work. Especially enjoy the basketball information. That's from Jay86. Um, UPS bus driver is the other name he used. So appreciate that, Jay. means a lot. And from the Harson Buggy, 101. This is the 101st review. It's just like Justin and Painter, just better than everyone else. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. Okay. Uh, okay. We, we appreciate it, Harson Buggy. Yeah. So Jump to rate, the front of the line, sir. There you go. Rate, review, and subscribe uh, to our podcast. You're listening to this for free. Um, you know, If you're listening to this one for free, you can subscribe $6 a month or $60 a year to Auburn Observer at auburnobserver.com. We'll email you all the stories, all the podcasts that we do um, most mornings around 6 a.m. Central Time. And like we said, the premium podcast coming up on Wednesday with our buddy Alex Kirshner. Uh, moving forward in the offseason, I'm going to try to keep to a to a schedule where Sunday podcast, maybe Monday, Tuesday story, we'll, we'll try to start doing the, the midweek podcast on Wednesday a little bit more, kind of breaking them up a little bit, get a little bit more space in between them, uh, and have some Thursday and Friday stories as well. So, Keep that in mind moving forward. We appreciate all you guys listening and uh, writing in and um, giving us some giving us some good feedback. We we love all the positives. We love the criticism as well because we need we need we need to tighten up on some things. Painter, we've got um, like we said, we've got that Alex uh, podcast coming up this mm-hmm. upcoming week. But uh, I think we can take a break here real quick and say uh, for those of you who have had the uh, who have pointed out the audio issues. And some of the stuff we've had in the last couple of episodes, 
We expect those to get very, very better very, very soon because Painter and I are going to start recording in person again. We're both vaxxed up. We're both after our two weeks. And uh, we've got we've got our uh, we've got our living situation settled at this point. So, Painter, we're going to be back to podcasting in person here very very soon. I'm excited. We hear you, people out there who uh, were frustrated by the audio. My deepest apologies. Yeah, last week last week it wasn't either of our our, our A game. So um, I'm glad it was a free one. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll do better. And and moving forward, the the podcast should be a whole lot whole lot cleaner and smoother once uh, Painter and I are back doing these face-to-face. All right, let's talk NFL draft. Auburn has a number of players in the draft that starts on Thursday. Not expecting anybody to go on Thursday. Friday might also be a little bit of a stretch with the second and the third round. Um, But I wanted to kind of talk to – kind of wanted to talk about each of these guys, kind of see – what we thought about them as as prospects, as you know, from from the Auburn perspective, where we think they could they they could be in the NFL and kind of go from there. Um, but before we begin, Painter, the Bills have a first round pick, or did they trade that? Is that part of the Diggs trade? I believe that they don't have that pick, but let me check. I should know. That's how so much. That's how much research I do. You're 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 in the you're in the. Uh, <laughs> you're in the uh the the real diehards of the buffalo bills fandom yes um, yes i'll jump off a table but i will not i will not, do, I will not do research um oh it says round one pick number 30 so so i, I couldn't remember if they traded they traded last year's pick for digs i believe but i didn't know if there was another one included in there so interesting I may have where your bills before, go but apparently there's some resentment about the whole table jumping thing among the bills fan base cuz it's like just one parking lot where it's like that but first off i think you should just embrace it it's very yes. funny and then yes. secondly those people are insane it might be that parking lot that really is like renowned, but also they're not the only insane fans. I got to tell you. <laughs> so anyway, whatever. No. And yes, now we all know that my beloved Bills, who I love so very much that I just figured out where their draft pick was. Where are they at? I think they're 30th. Okay. So, I mean, there'll be, there'll be some good. Please take Najee. I know running backs are weird. If Najee's available take. at that point, whoo, that'd be good. That'd be a good deal for them. Um, all right, let's let's run down some some Auburn prospects, kind of where we feel right now about them, and, and where we kind of see, kind of project out what we think about them as NFL prospects. We'll start with the wide receivers, of course. Seth Williams. Most people have him about fourth round range. Um, our buddy uh, Dane Brugler at the Athletic put out his big NFL draft guide earlier this month, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna use a lot of that information from him um, because he's the best in the business. He doesn't do all the dumb anonymous scout stuff and tries to get Twitter cloud. He just, he just gives you, he just gives you the evaluations and trust the people that, he, that he's talking to. He's got uh Dane's got Seth as the 19th best receiver in the class, fourth round pick. You know, there was a question in the mailbag this week, painter about what Seth could have been if he would have came back for another year. And one of the things I said in the answer was, I very much think that Seth Williams could end up being like Darius Slayton, that he could have raised his game coming back. He might not be a early-round guy because of it, um, but I think he made the right decision for himself because I think when he gets to the league, he's got the skill set to really, really pop off, um, kind of like Slayton did once he got to the Giants. Let us not forget that before the season, I was talking about Seth as a first-round pick, so yet another prediction gone awry. <laughs> I will say, I mean, there's definitely a world in which it's not hard to convince yourself he could be a very reliable wide receiver, too. You know, he may never be a star in the league, but a productive player, yes, that part to me seems extremely likely. Uh, so, Seth, this is Dane's evaluation, he said uh, – Overall, his his summary says, overall, Williams does not play with suddenness to create separation, and his inconsistencies are frustrating, but he is a ball winner with a physical profile and the athletic body control to win contested catches. He projects as an NFL possession receiver with starting ability. I think that's a fair, a, a fair rundown of Seth. You know, the thing about Seth is that when he was at Auburn, he could take over games. We saw the Kentucky game last year. Like, okay, last season with Bo, that second season with Bo, he had games where he was unstoppable like Kentucky, and then in the same year, I mean, J.C. Horn got the best of him over and over again in that South Carolina game. 
And that's the thing with Seth. There, you know, it's the consistency that needs to, you know, be there for guys to consider him as as a higher on NFL draft pick. But I think somebody could get him early day three in this draft. And I think he's got a lot of slate into his game. Like the Gus Malzahn offense and all its variations with all the different coordinators is not built to produce, you know, the top level receivers, right? The the route running is limited. The concepts are not as widespread as you'll find in the NFL, right? He hasn't had a super great track record of producing wide receivers and, you know, passing games passing games in general, quarterbacks uh, included in that mix as well. So if he had came back and ran this offense, been in this offense, you look at how Boise State's put out some guys in the league. You look at how Mike Bobo had a run of receivers get drafted at Colorado State. He obviously had some at uh, Georgia as well. They... He could have raised his stock, but you're also taking a huge risk when you come back. When you come back, what if you get hurt? What if, you know, what if you don't want to go through going through uh, learning a new offense again? And there's this thing right there saying that, hey, you might not get the massive payday right now, but just get in the league, get in an NFL offense and show what you can do. You could end up being like Slayton and being my top two, top three receiver on your team pretty quickly. Um, I think there are a number of teams in the NFL that could use him because Seth, as we saw at Auburn, Seth does things on the field that there's a lot of people who just can't do, can't do it right. Physically, he is, he is a guy that is such a weapon, and and his athleticism was top of the line coming out of high school, and they focused it in on wide receiver, and he made really big strides from a freshman to a sophomore and junior. There were there were some inconsistencies there, but there were games where he looked like one of the best receivers in the SEC. So, I mean, I'm I'm of the opinion, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this here a little bit later about our next guy. I'm of the opinion that in the right spot, I think Seth Williams could be a guy who has a, has a pretty long NFL career. I think of this draft class, he is the guy I'm rooting for the most. Okay. Obviously, you know, would like all the guys to have nice careers in the NFL, but I felt like a little bit was left on the table in his mm-hmm. career, and we can put blame in different places for that. We can say there were different things that led to, I think, him not being as productive of a player and perhaps reaching his full potential. But ultimately, I do think he has the capability of having a good career in the NFL, even if he's never a star, and he's somebody that I wish selfishly, but also for him, that had been more productive at Auburn, that was in a position where maybe he's going in the second round. Neither here nor there at this point, I think... Uh, what is he probably the first guy taken? Is that what you were saying? Probably he's 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 the guy that you you see projected the most now. Now I also think though and we'll move ahead to our next guy. You know, he, Dane had him at nineteen, uh, had had Seth at nineteen. He's got Anthony Schwartz at twenty one, and hmm. look, Schwartz has the real potential. I think to be a steal. I think Seth can be. I think Seth can end up being like Slayton, where he ends up becoming you know. Uh, you know, a fairly top receiver on his team within the first couple of years in the league, if he lands in the right spot um, and, and kind of develops, develops a little bit more as an NFL type of receiver. I think Schwartz, you know, did, his I, hear speed, you, did I see you online saying that some of his numbers are better than Tony's. Okay. So that was a story from one of the Roto websites. I think Roto wire. Cause he's they, projected as a top five wide receiver by a number of folks, isn't he? Right, and it was some of the things about his age and his athletic ability, and you see if you compare that to Tony, Schwartz might be ahead of him in a lot of areas. And so when you do these kind of forward-facing projections, he, he's he got a lot of stuff that, that, that makes him a top guy. But again, at Auburn, you're not necessarily going to be a dude, if you play wide receiver, you're not going to get a 1,000-yard seasons, right? You're not going to – I mean, he didn't score a ton when he was at Auburn either. And the offense – you know, the offense was designed to do certain things, but not necessarily get the best NFL type of wide receivers out there. The thing with Shorts, though, is that his speed is going to get somebody to draft him and maybe draft him a little bit earlier than people expect. Because once you get into day three and you're you're kind of just dart throwing or finding guys that you really, really thought clicked for you in the interview process or what you saw at Pro Days, I mean, people are going to look at people are going to look at 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 Schwartz and say, "Okay, he ran a four two five at at pro day. We'll find somewhere we can where where we can do that work because 
there are a billion good receivers in this class, but he's got something that I think can separate him from those guys who aren't in that top tier. A billion. There are this a billion a class. Yeah, it, and it you is said a, next year's was too. I didn't even think about that, but you know that was one of yeah, the things next, you mentioned about Seth was like, I mean, you know, all the things you said about the inherent risk of playing another year for free in a new system. Plus, I mean, you're probably looking at another uphill battle in terms of just playing a position that there's been a lot of emphasis given the direction of football on the position. There's right. a lot of talented guys now making a lot of money. And uh, another I, interesting thing, I've seen a, a number of projections that have Heisman winner Devontae Smith behind my boy Jalen Waddle in the draft, which is interesting, right. one, because obviously Smith was such a great player, and two, Waddle's coming off that injury. But right. uh, I think that Waddle's probably my favorite Alabama player, so, you know, Ever? best of luck to that guy. Yeah, I think so. I really have a soft spot for him. The What he did to Auburn in the year that Auburn had that chaotic 2019 Iron Bowl, uh-huh. I don't understand. You know, I mean, what did he have? Four touchdowns, one of them on special teams. Auburn did a good job of slowing down the other receivers, but had no answer for that guy. An absolute freak. Yeah, and and my thing with my thing that I always appreciate uh, Waddle for is that one year when we were at SEC Country before we all got laid off, they were like, "Hey, who do you think is going to win SEC Player of the Year?" Kind of these early projections, and I just threw and I was like, "Man, I've heard I've seen some good things about Jalen Waddle as as a freshman at Alabama, like in, in in spring practice. Why not? I'll go with Waddle." And he ended up becoming just this this all world player as a freshman. And it's like, aha, thank you, Jalen Waddle, for for making me look smart. We don't we're not good at predictions around here, Painter, but but that was the one I did I did get right. I just, back to Schwartz though, like that speed, he's the guy that people say if he got in a foot race with Tyreek Hill, it'd be fun to see who would win. Like that he's gonna be faster than pretty much everybody in this class. And that's going like it's not gonna make him a first rounder. But like if we get towards the end of the third round on Friday night and and somebody just snaps up Schwartz, you know somebody who just wants a young receiver uh, to kind of do some things in offense, not the Chiefs, but like if somebody like who runs the offense like the Chiefs that wants to stretch the field vertically and put him in there, I think he's I think he's got it. And and if you looked at him statistically, especially that sophomore season he had, he was an efficient receiver as in the short yardage in the intermediate, as a deep ball guy. The offense didn't always give him all the different opportunities that he might have did, but like when he did get those chances, I thought he looked like he had progressed to be more of an all-around receiver over the years, and he's still been working hard at that. It's just been his big focus during uh, during this, this draft process. I mean, he's been working out with Randy Moss, trying to become a better route runner, trying to become a better pure receiver, because that speed and that agility and that physical talent that he's got is going to translate. It's going to be all the ins and outs. Can you can you get separation uh, with with how you do? Because those guys on the other side are millionaires trying to cover you now. Um, and so Schwartz again, very much like Williams in the right system. I think he could be a steal and one of those cases where you know Auburn's offense didn't benefit him the most in trying to make him a you know, wide receiver prospect, um, at, 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 you know, for the NFL, but the right offense is going to be able to, to, to use him. And I think if you look at Dane's breakdown, he said he's going to be kind of a boomer bust type of, of receiver in the NFL. Feast or famine, I think was the words he used. He's like, he's got to get well-rounded. He's got to be a lot more reliable, but if he can, if he can get those, if he can get those intangibles down, with the type of speed he has, because he's just naturally faster than everybody else on the field, he's got a potential to be a star and a, and a steal, and like a Tyree Kill, and like a number of these guys. If the right team, like, I'll say this: if the Pittsburgh Steelers draft either <laughs> Anthony Schwartz or Seth Williams, you just bank on them being be, making it work because those guys get late round wide receivers all the time and turn them into really big time big time players. It's just something that they do over and over again. So I think the right teams could make these guys stars. Now, if a team wants to get them and say, "Well, we need you to be, you know, the, you know, progress to be our uh, a number 1 or a number 2 guy immediately," might be a little tougher, right? Might be a little tougher to pull off the Slayton route, but I just think get into an NFL NFL scheme and just the physical talents there with these guys. He's they've just got to you know they're not finished products, and people want finished products. And 
that makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at a wide receiver class that has Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and all these guys, all these guys in it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the guy, in my opinion, that's pretty clearly like the most divisive among Auburn fans. Like there are a lot of folks who I think go, yeah, he's got incredible speed. You know, like you're saying in the right situation, he ought to be a good player. And then I see a lot of people saying, oh, he's just fast. You know, he can't do X, Y, and Z. It's not going to work out. Uh, I, you know, and that's an interesting thing that I feel like is happening among the Auburn fan base. There's like this split of how much of it was the system, how much of it was a lack of opportunity, uh, some definite like armchair quarterbacking in terms of, you know, I, I don't know what to make of him because I'm rooting for the guy. Like, you're much better at the actual analysis of what it was he did to improve this year. But it seems to me like he is the player that Auburn fans are most on the fence about what happens next with his career. Whereas I think with Seth, it's it, it just seems more evident to me that like because of what you mentioned, some of those physical gifts and the strength and the, the catch radius, like I feel like he's a pretty safe lock to be a decent player in the league. Uh, whereas with Schwartz, I wonder if it's people view him more as a guy that have, could have some really surprising upside. Am I just like totally rambling here, or is are you seeing no. some of the same sentiment about Schwartz, where there's this sort of split uh, logic about what he'll be at the next level? Yeah, I, th- I think part of the thing with Schwartz that, and, and Williams to an extent that, that people look at in the NFL is that you know every time you read a scouting report, and these guys are like, yeah, the drops. You know, they had drop problems. Um, and, you know, if you're not a guy who is, you know, getting eight, 9,000 yard seasons every year, they're going to want to see consistency. And so you can say, okay, well, the offense might have not been the best fit for you. And there's some of that in play with these two guys. But I also think that, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on who you talk to. Is it the player? Is it the scheme? And I think the Auburn fans are even split. Uh, you know, with that as well with with um, Schwartz because Schwartz never had that takeover game like Seth did, right? Like, so Seth had those games where he was the best dude on the field. He led him to wins against Kentucky and then A&M as a freshman. And there, there were some games where he was the guy at the big... One of the, the most big disrespectful winner. singular plays against that Mississippi State corner who thought he was slick talking all that noise. And, and then, you know, the the Oregon game having the right, game winner right. there. Like, there, there's a lot of – you didn't see that out of Schwartz. So, I think that kind of diminishes the view some Auburn fans have of, of, of Schwartz. The other thing that's interesting to me, I wonder if guys are going to give Schwartz a chance in the league if, if, he, if he tries it out to be a, a kick returner because he didn't do that at Auburn. He's a straight-line speed kind of guy. I wonder if he would have been a return man if that would have bumped up his his um, his pro, you know, his, his um, projections a little bit more. Because a guy like Tutu Atwell – who did you see two? Did you see the Tutu Atwell stuff the other day, Painter? No, what's going you on? Know? What an incredible okay. name! Yeah, Tutu Atwell played at uh, played at Louisville. He's a Miami guy, um, pure slot receiver, special teams guy. He's a really good return man at Louisville. He's like five eight one. I mean, he he weighed less than one hundred and fifty pounds at the last weigh in he had. Tiny. I mean, tiny, tiny, tiny. Like tinier than Will Hastings. Tiny, and. He's going to be a bigger damn guy because I think he's got some of that special teams versatility that that people are going to want at the next level. Um, but yeah, I, I think I I wonder how much that might have been holding Schwartz back as well because people may see his speed and think, oh yeah, we'll throw him on a return team. He's like, well, he doesn't really have a ton of experience doing that. Who else we got? All righty, we will. I'd say one more thing on the receivers, uh, Eli Stove. Um, Probably a guy that will most likely end up being either late, 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 late pick, or a priority free agent for somebody. For somebody, I think he. I think the way the way he works and the upside that he that he has, I think he could stick on a roster. So it'll be very interesting to see where he goes. The same thing for Jordan Peters. You know, Jordan Peters defensively wasn't a star at Auburn, but the man was a special teams icon, and. Some NFL team is going to see that special teams record that he has, see his versatility that he could be a guy who could fill in in certain spots, you know, can play corner, can play safety, can play nickel, can play dime, can do all these different things. And I'm telling you, man, just be, just be, just be aware of what could happen if uh, Jordan Peters, if you look up and say, huh, 
Jordan Peters signed with the New England Patriots. Wow, that's <laughs> that's that's interesting. So uh, I think those are two guys you want to you want to keep an eye on as well. Um, moving over to the uh, to the secondary, Jamie and Sherwood. I think Sherwood's got a lot of uh, Seth Williams kind of to his game just on the defensive end. I one of the biggest surprises to me throughout this process, this draft process, was I thought I thought Jamie Sherwood would have been a higher ra- a higher rated prospect coming out of coming out of college, um, because I think he can do some of everything, and he just uh, the mentality, the maturity that he brings to the table. He is an NFL player already. I'm very I've been very surprised this whole this whole process about how he doesn't have a ton of hype around him. I think he's a fourth fifth round guy right now to according to a lot of people. So do you think that the overarching and I'm going to go sideways here on you, but do you think there's going to be a narrative over the next year or two or maybe it already exists mm-hmm. that Gus didn't do enough with the players he had and not just not just looking at the recruiting rankings, but looking at some of the guys in the NFL and going like, yeah, there's a number of guys in the NFL, but not a ton of players who, when you think of them, are uh, contributing in a like meaningful way on their NFL roster. Is that overblown? Is there some substance to that? Like, is that is that just me making things up? You know how people make up like arguments on Twitter. Because you find it, a guy, you find a guy to be mad at, right? Well, what do you think? I, what, what's your what's your personal opinion on the on on the the I guess the later years of Gus and in that era and what type of players he they, the team was able to produce and how successful they were with them. The thing that I'm going to most remember about the last few years is not so much his NFL pipeline, but that like they missed so much on one really important position group. I'm not as hyper-focused maybe as some people on the NFL. Like, he does put players in the NFL. What, they have 20-something guys in the league right now, and among them, uh, there are a few players like Montrevious, certainly Derek, uh, Slayton, even Peyton Barber on a level. Like, there are some guys who are important players to their team, and there's a lot of guys who, like, you know, are helping fill out rosters. This is a really, like, rambling way of me saying, like, I, I think so much about that offensive line. And mm-hmm. what it could have been the last few years if things were different, more so than like the NFL. I think Auburn's NFL production lines up a lot with their recruiting, and I think Auburn's final standing in the SEC, for the most part, lined up with their recruiting. Now there were some years where they under underachieved in that aspect, but you can be fifth or sixth best in the SEC. It's like, well, yeah, you recruit at the fifth or sixth best level in the SEC most of the time. Um, I you know I, I do wonder I do wonder how much a better offensive line would have helped Jarrett Stidham look as, as a prospect how much it would have helped you know Bo Nix in the case of helping uh, Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz as prospects I, I do wonder that but you know in this I think it was up until last season and maybe even last season is is was part of it I had to go back and look at the numbers Gus Malzahn produced more NFL draft picks in the first in this in in the seven round era or just the seven rounds in general than any other Auburn coach did on average. So they took a step up in that capacity. Auburn is getting to be, you know, even though the reputation they had on offense, Auburn's getting to be more of a team that puts guys in the league. They're not Alabama. They're not Georgia. They're not a, the, these other places, but that play, that way developed, right? That that took a step forward. I think ultimately you look at some of these guys that go to the league and you look at it and say, okay, well, the some pieces of it, why was it not more consistent, right? Why was it not, you know, why did Auburn struggle in these certain areas all the time? Or why, you know, why could they jump up and beat this team, but, you know, fall to this? And some of that is natural when you have a bunch of, you know, teenagers and guys in your early 20s playing football, right? But... I think it's that consistency, and it's part of the reason why we're talking about Brian Harson, the, the new Brian Harson era, because they're trying to bring that rock solid consistency that he had at Boise State, give him some NFL or some SEC talent, and then and then turn it loose. So, I think that's ultimately the thing, right? You look at some of these guys. I don't think there's you know you could call you know Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz if they get drafted the third, fourth, fifth round, whatever. That falls in line kind of where they were as prospects. You know, there there are other guys that do that. Some dudes like Daniel Thomas 
exceeded expectations. Noah Benigni being a first round exceeded expectations. There were guys like Garrett Brown and Marlon Davidson who got in the early rounds, you know, right where you would have expected them to be coming out of high school. So I think in that area, it was fine. It was just the sum total for a number of reasons. And Painter, I think your point about the offensive line is a good one. It kind of limits, limits things that's going on. Going back to Jamie Sherwood, I look at this though, and I'm like, man, he looked really, really good on the defensive side at Auburn. What does the NFL not like about him? Why is he a fifth or sixth round guy? And it's like, He's not the fastest dude in the world. He's not the strongest dude in the world. He doesn't force a ton of turnovers, but he makes plays. And he's a guy that I think any defense is going to want because he can play some of everything. He's going to be mature. He's going to be exactly where he needs to be. I don't know, man. Like that, He's been the big puzzler to me because I think you can see a number of Auburn guys like Daniel Thomas when you see um, you know, Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, uh, Noah Ibanagini, become really good picks coming out coming out of Auburn, especially in the defensive backfield or on the defense in general. I just uh, the Jamie Sherwood thing just is, it was was baffling to me and and it doesn't fall in line with what we've seen from other places. Um, you know, other guys coming out of Auburn. It's weird. I guess he just doesn't test real well, right? So that's I guess, gonna be something but that holds him back and you know It's I, not like this is a great safety class either. You know? There's not I mean Guys, you know, safeties don't usually go super, super, super high on a, on a on a high rate, but like, there's not a first round safety in this class. So if if you're already dealing with that in that tier, I just don't know why he's down there. But I mean, I would have said the same thing. There, both of Georgia's guys are lower rated than he is. So I hmm. maybe I just don't know what the NFL wants out of safeties. I think well, Jamie and Sherwood. I think Jamie and Sherwood's going to be a really is going to be a really good player that's that's in the league for a while. Um, of those guys, was there one that you most enjoyed talking to when you guys got media available? Of the players that we are talking about, was there one that was particularly entertaining when we had media availability? Uh, Seth. Yeah, I thought <laughs> always, that would be the answer. Always Seth. <laughs> Jamie honest. wasn't entertaining, but he was, you know, Jamie and talked like he was already in the NFL. Very all business, very professional like for, for him. I'm going to miss Seth. And I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss Jamie and as well talking to those guys. And again, like all these dudes, you hope that they're super successful at the next level. Last guy of the draftable players that you could you could point out, I think, on this team um, moving forward is KJ Britt. And the end of the KJ Britt uh, KJ Britt's time at Auburn was not what you know anybody wanted because um, he had the injury and he missed most of the year. KJ Britt is going to be a great litmus test for linebackers in the future because KJ Britt at the college level is one of the best. He was, you know, when he was a junior, he was the highest rated run stopping linebacker in college football. He's a thumper. He, you know, he's downhill Britt. That was the nickname that, that T will gave him. And <laughs> he was really good at that. Now, is he the most agile dude in the world? Is he the fastest dude in the world? Is he the best in coverage? No. And so I think the way football's going, and it's kind of a shame considering, you know, the amount, there, there's so many different kinds of players. I, I, I don't want to get to the point where you look at inside linebackers in the NFL and you're like, all right, well, if they can't cover at a high level, we don't want them. And it's like, well, that's going to take away. I mean, Deshaun Davis didn't get to stick in the league kind of the same way. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to see that happen to KJ Britt because I think KJ Britt is a really, really, fun inside linebacker that you're going to want to have might be a package player earlier in his career but he's going to be a great litmus test because if he can stick with what people say you know are not you know, not positives about his game and i think he looked better in coverage at the at the senior bowl than than people gave him credit for at auburn um you know he's he's gonna he's gonna be a really interesting case because we've seen that next wave of linebackers that auburn sent into the league Zacoby and owen those are little guys who can run around in space. Um, so it's just going to be one of those things is like, is he kind of the last of that kind, you know, at Auburn or, or even, even at, at college football in general, having those kind of downhill thumpers, you know, being dudes that are, that can get drafted in the NFL. I wonder if there will be an overcorrection because the game is obviously tilting so oh, yeah. heavily toward the pass. And like, like you mentioned, everybody's got to be able to cover because of the amount of defense backs on the field and the amount of space that, coordinators are forcing the defenses to worry about but I do wonder if you've got 
and like Henry's not a great example of this because we talked about why it is he's so special. Like there just aren't there are a yeah. few people built like Henry, but I do wonder if we will see sort of as as guys get a little bit shiftier and agile, perhaps at the positions like linebacker, if we'll see some of that that older school mentality of football, or if it's just that's just done. There's no more of that. Um, yeah. You'll have a few exceptions to the rule, like Derrick Henry, but the need for someone like Britt will not exist in five years. Uh, I mean, I certainly don't know. Yeah, and, and my my uh, my big question with that is, how much does a team like the Baltimore Ravens? How much are they changing that? How much is how much do the Titans do that and change that? How much are they going to bring? How much is Arthur, Arthur Smith going to bring that to Atlanta? Where it's like, oh, you got smaller and spread out um, on defense. All right, we're just going to hammer the ball right at you, and you're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to slow it down. I think at the college level, there's still enough. Like teams like Alabama, teams like Ohio State, teams like Clemson, they still know the value of running downhill, even if you do it out of spread concepts. You know, Urban Meyer's big offense was they're going to play smash mouth football out of spread systems, and that's still the prevailing thing. In the in in the college game, you know, so many teams do that really well. Alabama is putting Najee Harris into the league this year, even though they were this light them up passing offense the last few years. Um, so, you know, we see that trickle down, trickle up effect. We see college, we see what the what happens in the college game go up to the NFL game in the past, and I I think there might be a bubble at some point with the passing. In, in in the NFL and in the college game itself that you can still win championships and you can still compete by running the ball and playing really good defense. You don't have to just sell out to throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And I think you're seeing some of that in Arizona with the way Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray have not necessarily clicked like they thought they were going to. That offense hadn't quite gotten to that successful level that people may have expected. You see teams like Baltimore get there. You see teams like Tampa Bay want to play a little bit more ball control football and win the win the league doing that. You know, you see Kansas City still want to run it. Baltimore changing everything up. Tennessee building what they've got out of it with Derrick Henry and throwing the deep ball off of it because Tannehill's really good at it. Wonder how much of a trickle up effect we will see. The problem I think that might ultimately do this in, and this affects the Cosmo as well, it is so hard to play defense. The rules are geared to the passing game, very much so in in, in the NFL, um, with the with the pass interference and, and all that. I am very very curious um, to see if college is going to change anything on the rules, like with the RPR rule, three three yards downfield, stuff like that. Because right now you can just sit back and if you're good enough at throwing it around the yard, I don't know how defense can slow you down. I, I don't know how defenses can win. Um, and we've seen that in the NFL. You can zip it around all over the field. I think there's still plenty of room for a really good running game. And linebackers who can stop it. And, and safeties who can come down to the box and stop it. And defensive linemen who aren't necessarily great pass rushers. I think there's still plenty of value in that. Um, and I just think the league and football in general, we don't want to come. we don't want to see it become this – you know, everybody's seven throwing it around. style football. Right, yeah. You don't want it to be that way, right? And so I wonder how much that's going to that's gonna, that's gonna matter moving forward. And I think a guy like K.J. Britt's going to be a great example of how do those dudes stick? Do they get a chance? Um, just because of the way the game's going. I am dying right now at the 2.2 GPA trending because of Chad Johnson. What, 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 what's that? Parenting 101, kids don't understand the sacrifices it takes. Long story short... His child, I guess his daughter, is asking for some shoes. And at the end of the screenshot, I mean, the dude obviously has a killer work ethic. You do not make it into the NFL if you don't, right? And then on top of that, right. he wasn't just some guy in the league. He was one of the best receivers in the league while he was playing. But the final message did crack me up. I caught the bus to school, then went to football practice, caught the bus to McDonald's for a six-hour shift, all while maintaining a 2.2 GPA and being a star uh. athlete. Yeah, you could have just said you stayed in school. I now, don't know, man. <laughs> to be to be fair, I did not have a a, a good GPA uh, in school. So let me not throw stones in glass houses here. But uh, nonetheless, that why he felt the need to throw the two point two part in there. Yeah, did he could just be up. like, hey, he could just be like, I mean, if you say 
if you say that in, in that process is like, look, I was a really good athlete in high school. I worked a six hour shift at McDonald's most days and I graduated and I got yeah, to college that, and that, I got that, to play the NFL. The point a that's better. a great, that's a great story. When you start getting in the specifics of that and you, you were like, okay, that, that, that might not be that much of a flex and people and people on the internet will definitely eat that up. Well, also, um, you know, like we, I think sometimes there's probably a disillusion, like portion of, of folks who don't realize, you know, how unlikely it is that they will ever make it to the professional level. Right. And I don't know what Johnson was like in high school, but given how talented he was, he might've also realized like, yeah, school is secondary for me. I don't like, that's kind of a risky game to play because so much can happen, but uh, he might have he might have had a clue that he just needed to graduate. Chad Johnson started his career at, at the JUCO level and played one season at uh, Oregon State before getting picked in the second round of the NFL draft. His one year at Oregon State, he had 37 catches and eight touchdowns for 806 yards. So he had to he had to work his way up. He was from Miami and went to JUCO in Santa Monica, uh, where he played alongside Steve Smith. Then ended up going to Oregon State off of that. So well, he definitely like worked his way absolutely up. grinded. So I'm not trying to throw yeah. a bunch of shade at the guy because certainly he's accomplished more than I ever will. Panthers hating on pa- yeah, Panthers hating on the two point two on GP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chad Johnson will mess your life up in FIFA if you ever cross him, though. So don't don't you know? I don't think you're going to want too much smoke with with him. Or he could just mess me up for real, for real. One hundred percent. I have a rule right. that I think. Uh, athletes should be allowed to uh, fight three fans per season. I think it would really tone down the way people talk to athletes because uh, I love this idea. Like Ron Artest, great example of of, you're not him. You are not this. You're both humans, but you're not the same, right? You Mm -hmm. ever see those shirts that say we are not the same? Well, it actually applies to someone like that or Chad Johnson. And I think people would stop throwing beer on them and like spitting on them and saying (laughs) mean things to them two feet away. If everybody can go run our test once a year. Yes. Three. (laughs) I want three, three. And then that's the cutoff. And then if you start doing it after that, (laughs) we can talk suspension. Oh, that would be great. I like it. I like it. Hooray for violence. That's that's what we're, that's what we're promoting here on the show. Yes, for sure. All right. That's going to do it for this podcast. Appreciate everybody listening, uh, for this one. You know, we, we had a quicker turnaround from our, from our last one. We we did want to talk about Trey Alexander. So, um, like I said, uh, Wednesday, the Alex Kirshner podcast for the inner circle, join us for that one. Should be a lot of fun talking with Alex. We're going to record that here in the next couple of days. And, uh, yeah, uh, auburnobserver.com earlier in the week. You know, early next week we are going to do a little rundown of um, the offensive and defensive scholarship players coming out of spring practice. Didn't want to do a depth chart. Yeah, it seems a little iffy right now. But I'm going to try to give you a little, a little snapshot of where every player is at heading into the summer. Uh, we'll have some more basketball stuff also during the week. So a lot of stuff, auburnobserver.com. Sign up there if you haven't done that yet. For those of you who are listening to the podcast for free and aren't subscribers, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you telling your friends. We appreciate the reviews as well. We'll talk to you all next week. Painter, final thoughts. (laughs) Go eat a Big Mac for Chad. Chad.